Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Hey everybody, everybody, everybody! Welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch. Oh, you got me a little bit in the eye there. Oh. oh, that's our guest, Jess Dabala. Thank Hi. you so much for returning. I'm so happy to be here, y'all. Yes. And I'm happy to have you. I'm sure Brady is as well, who's also here. I am super happy to see you, Jess. Hi. Uh, yeah, see you. I don't want to put pressure on you, but I feel like you're our best <laughs> Like I, I like the pressure. It's I want exciting. everyone else to up their game. <laughs> Jess is one of the finest we've had. Um, thrilled to be here. Praise gets you everywhere with me. So, awesome. so that's why we had her back to do, you know, this week's movie, uh, the classic 1991 film Barton Fink. Barton Fink. It is a classic, Barton right? Fink. Um, I would say so, and also I feel a little embarrassed because when I said that I had seen it, I really hadn't seen it. Um, I had, I had confused it with the 2001 movie Bartleby. Because it's, have you seen oh, Bartleby? Well, what's Bartleby? It's, it's this like workplace, this, it's like an odd guy. And he, he always uh, like when his boss asks him to do something, he just says, I'd rather not. <laughs> and oh. it's like this, I, I saw it years ago, so I can't, I don't have a lot of good recall on it. But when, when you said Barton Fink, because like it's a, it's a bar yeah, so I totally had never seen this film, and it was so good, so, um, I was, I was yeah. surprised. <laughs> well, good. Spoilers, I, this film rules. The, yeah, spoilers, this movie was really, really wonderful, and I'm, I mean, I'm a fan of the Coen brothers, so I'm surprised I never see, had Me never too. seen it, but I guess it was, like, an earlier film, so I was just, like, four yeah. when it came out. Yeah, pretty early, yeah. I think so. 91, right? 91. Yeah, I keep meaning to go watch all of the Coen brothers so that it, because I've never seen Blood Simple either, and I think I've seen most of the other ones. You seen Miller's Crossing? Uh, I guess I haven't seen Miller's Crossing either. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> They've made a lot of fucking movies, huh? They've made a lot of movies. <laughs> They've made a lot of movies. They're the Coens. But man. this one, I mean, obviously, Big Lebowski is really high up for me, but this one was is is in contention for me for being one of their best films, I think. That's great. I think, you know, it's up there for me, too. It's got to be, right? So good. Well, Brady, well, since you know it so well and you've seen it so many times, uh, do you want to do twice. the plot synopsis? <laughs> oh, I thought you said you'd seen it a bunch of times. No, okay, So, but I will do a plot synopsis. I think I can do it. Um, no, here's the thing. I, I caught up with this earlier this year for the first time. So I'm like really new to it because uh, I've been going through 1991 this year. Uh, like so it's not that you've films. seen it a bunch of times. You, you were just uh, fresh on it. Okay, no. Literally, I'll say what I had done. I've seen it twice now and I have watched clips of my best friend, Ben Geisler, like multiple, multiple times <laughs> in, in various states of drunkenness and stonedness. Um, Ben Geisler is my best friend. <laughs> Various uh, states of drunkenness and stonedness is also representative of the, the journey I've had the last 24 <laughs> hours. So <laughs> I'm right there. 
Okay, so we open in New York City in 1941 at uh, the opening of a play. Yeah, we're backstage. Mm -hmm. And we're hearing the last lines of the last scene of the play, but our focus is on a character played by John Turturro, Barton Fink, the titular Fink. He is holding a rolled-up script, just kind of pensively watching his actors act, uh, kind of mouthing along. And uh, the curtain goes down, and it's a, it's a big success in uh, New york literary circles. Everybody cheers! Yeah, there's, like, big celebration, but you, you still see, like, yeah, he's taking... He's taking it very seriously. Very like seriously. he's everything is coming into him, right? Yeah, and he's kind of brushing off uh, compliments and being very serious and writerly. Very writerly. Very writerly. So 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 self serious. Um, and the gist, <laughs> the gist. Um, what happens is he's given an offer to go to Hollywood and become a screenwriter. And he's not sure because he's like, wait, I'm just starting to become successful and maybe I'd do better staying here with what I know. But the money's good, so off he goes to L.A. Yeah, he doesn't really want to because he wants the people's theater or whatnot, not the, not the schlock that's all just put on the screen in the pictures, right? At first, I really, truly did not know what year it took place in. So when he was like, I will offer you a thousand dollars a week, I was like, what year is this? Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a thousand dollars a week, I don't laugh at that, like even today, but I'm just saying like, it's not like yeah. an exorbitant I, amount that would make me derail my whole life's plan. Yes. If you offered me a thousand, I, I would take it. Oh, hell yeah. No, I mean, 100%. But is, is <laughs> I was like, I was like, this tips me off. We are not in today. Yeah, no. <laughs> and um, in a very cohen touch, I don't want to get too into the weeds yet, but the first thing we hear before we even get to L.A. is like this kind of ominous, like, roaring of waves crashing. Boulder smash. Rock. Boulder smash. That's what I wrote down on my notes. Boulder smash Boulder equals smash. Los Angeles, question mark? I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but you know it's it's kind of disorienting like we we hear the place before we get into it and we pull up to this seedy hotel which uh, Barton has chosen for himself uh he's offered nicer hotels but he seems to want to be in this space does anyone know why is there like cuz he's a hipster fuck yeah, he wants a, to suffer he wants to be authentic <laughs> and suffer yes yeah, at one, at one point it says, oh, you want to be in something a little less Hollywood. Is that is that the deal? Yeah. Yeah, that's the deal. And, and he meets uh, Chet, the bellman, played by Steve Buscemi. I honestly could have turned up the, the Buscemi about 30 to 40% in this film and would have been happy about it, but... Yeah, why wasn't there more me in this? <laughs> I mean, I could have just, whoop, turned that dial all the way up because... Yeah, there's not I mean, much he's of a man. Him. I mean, but he still he still did great job in his smaller parts. But yeah, I could have done with more. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, so he's shown to his disgusting hotel room and his disgusting hotel that is too hot and the walls leak glue and uh, the wallpaper is just all falling apart and yellowing. Um, and this is where Barton has chosen to hole up and work on his first screenplay. And he's taken to the offices of producer Jack Lipnick, uh, played by Michael Lerner. Actually, the only... 
uh, the only acting nomination for sure this film got. I mean, he was fantastic. So. He is fantastic. Uh, and Rob, I'll give you $10, Rob, if you can tell me what other movie we've podcasted on Jack or Michael Lerner is in. Oh, man. Um, I, I know I recognize him. I, I've just seen him in a bunch of things. He's, he's a character actor who's around a lot. but uh, He is, he is. But uh, I can't think of something that would be tied to our podcast. I mean, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? No, that's a good guess, though, because he I think does... he is in that. Is he? Uh, Wait. Is he? Did he talks to raspy voice, Sarah. I don't... He's got, like, There are hair. definitely some Michael Lerner types in that movie. Yeah. I don't, like... Like, he could have played Acme, right? If, if I think of it, I'll tell... Oh, I'll, I'll let you know. All right, I'll give you until the end of the plot synopsis to think of it. Uh, okay, so... And, you know, Barton's nervous because he's going into his first thing. But uh, Lipnick is, if anything, very effusive in his praise and support for Barton. And kind of, you know, the Coen's tweaking Hollywood because he's maybe, like saying a lot and saying nothing. He's just kind of spouting praise at him. And, yeah. and he's saying... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jess. Oh, no, at one point I felt like it was like a Donald Trumpian, like, not to speak of him, obviously, he's gross. But... <laughs> he who should not be named. Uh, yeah, I should have said that. But, I mean, it's, it's just that kind of uh, blasphemous, like, I can say, yeah, I'll say whatever I want while saying absolutely nothing. He's actually just, like... It's almost like a racquetball where he's playing the game with himself. Like, he doesn't Ooh. need anything from Barton to actually just go on this tirade and decide what he wants in that moment. Because he does the same thing later on. But it's like, you never know if you're going to be in his uh, graces, in his good graces, or you're going to be absolutely shit on by him. Yeah, and the one who's frequently in his bad graces is this guy, Lou, who's like a former big-time producer from the 20s, and now that it's the 40s, apparently has fallen from grace, but still exists in some kind of eunuch role where he's just there to, like, get shit on, I guess, <laughs> and, like, take care of Barton. Um, poor Lou, played by John Polito, a Coen Brothers uh, regular. <laughs> Rob, you remember he's uh, the brother Seamus in Big Lebowski? Oh, yeah. I knew he looked familiar. I was... My I brother Seamus. Yep. I was thinking about that. Wait, which character are we talking about here? Uh, Lou. Lou, the uh, beaten down upon producer. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. And so Lou's going to take care of him. And what Barton's been signed up to do is a wrestling picture. With Wallace Beery, now I am illiterate on a lot of classic Hollywood films, so Me I, too. I don't know Wallace. Rob, you might. No. No. Okay. <laughs> is it a fictional, is it a real person? He's a real guy. Oh, okay. I didn't know, honestly. I, that's like all I know is he's real, because this is the Coens, kind of, yeah, the first time of the Coens going into their love of like old Hollywood and like playing around with tropes and, you know, the, the kind of thing they do in Hail Caesar. Yeah. Uh, where the, you know, they really just know their stuff and they mm -hmm. like to play around with it, like their little Lego pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so Barton is given a week to come up with something, right? Yeah. I'd like to see something at the end of the week, um, and he's not given a lot of direction at all. But he's told that great things are expected of him, and this is kind of <laughs> the central thrust of this: is him trying to navigate uh, without a lot of guidance. 
but crushing pressure. Yep. And so he's back in his hotel writing, but he can't seem to get a lot of writing done because, uh, as mentioned, the walls leak glue. And also there seems to be crying coming from the walls. Um, can I just say, I mean, uh, should I say this now or should I say this for later? You can say when, it now. Okay, when the glue, I, I feel like it, what, it's called Foley Artist, right? The person that makes the sounds for yes. the film. I feel like they should have gotten an award nomination for this movie because the sounds they make, the mattress make, like when he first puts his suitcase down, like you can hear how cheap the mattress is. And then so when the glue is peeling off the wall and you can hear that wallpaper like slimy like coming off i was like this is body horror but like in a building it's so good and i was like i'm very impressed by whatever they use to make those sounds uh hard agree completely agree rob do you agree yeah i think they probably use that uh that cement that judge doom gets his foot stuck in and hoover and roger rabbit to make that sound <laughs> it's a nasty little sound i'm just my brain is just everything is who brain roger rabbit now barton Ra <laughs> barton roger rabbit <laughs> well uh barton calls and complains because the walls are crying and the man is yeah i on and i couldn't tell at first if it was like uh i couldn't a tell if it was a woman or a, a man or a laugh or a yeah it was just like a manic kind of sound yeah he's crafting a disjointed <laughs> wailing voice yeah um, that haunts the soul. Mm -hmm. And shortly after his call, a knock comes at the door, and it's the source of the cries. A, uh, I was going to describe this man, but he's John Goodman, so I think that that will do for a description. But like, a, what's going on, Big Dan? A sweaty, <laughs> unhinged John Goodman. A sweaty, unhinged insurance salesman. Yep. Uh, who likes to uh, hold court mm -hmm. and. Um, He's a big, friendly, blustery fellow, and mm -hmm. he comes in and uh, offers Barton, you know, a drink of whiskey as an apology, and they start talking about what they do, and basically what happens is Barton goes into a big tirade about how he's a playwright for the everyman, but then he, he won't let everyman John Goodman get a word in. He won't let him say a fucking word. Not a fucking thing. And John Goodman's like, well, I could tell you stories. Like, I'm sure I you can. I could tell you stories. I <laughs> could tell you stories. That I was... could tell you some stories. And that's... <laughs> that's, that's what I heard. I heard Heel Hazard. <laughs> I mean, he... That's amazing. He doesn't let him talk at all. And he's talking about how he thinks that every... He's exalting what the everyman is, but he's kind of eroticizing it and being like, I'm separate from that because I'm this intellectual, but... I'm obsessed with that experience. So I think that's, um, but he's speaking to a person who presumes to know that experience, but he won't let him discuss it. So yeah, we have to write about the everyman, but And but then you're talking me, to an everyman, me, I have and you to won't write. let the everyman, you know, talk. And then we find out that he has not only an interesting story, but... A violent and crazy and <laughs> massive, yeah. massively uh, action-packed story that he could have actually learned from, probably. 
But as as John Goodman tells him later in the film, you don't listen. You don't fucking listen. Fucking listen. So he, he says fucking, right, at that point? Uh, I, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I could have inserted that in my brain, but... You're probably right. The Coens know when to uh, dispense a good episode. They really do. And as a person who has been interrupted a lot in my life, I fucking relate to the urge to... <laughs> Murder and decimate people that don't listen to you and speak <laughs> over you multiple fucking times. And John Goodman knows as well. Mm-hmm. It's a solution I haven't considered yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to do it, but I would be lying if I, and then I hadn't thought about the it. The thing I also noticed that I didn't the first time is as he leaves... So the Goodman character is very self-deprecating, um, but he's, his self-deprecation, he's kind of trying to drop hints to Barton. And the last thing he says, I think, as he leaves... Is he's like, yeah, you forget that there's other people in the world. Yeah. Which is for Barton, I think, but mm-hmm. does not register with Barton. Not at all. Uh, which will be recurring throughout the movie. <laughs> uh, so then uh, we meet my best friend, uh, Ben Geisler, <laughs> played by Tony Shalhoub, uh, who should be in more Cohen's because you guys, did you guys see The Man Who Wasn't There? Yeah. Um, he's the attorney, like the hotshot attorney. Okay. Once they sh- uh, in that, he's so good in that. I would have seriously given him an Oscar for that role. Um, but he's Ben Geisler. He's another kind of uh, sub-producer, because everyone's under Jack Lipnick. And he's kind of like a no-bullshit guy who, what I love about him is he is openly resentful about having to deal with a person like Barton Fink. Mm-hmm. Like, the first thing he tells him is he mistakes him for maybe an extra, <laughs> auditioning for the part of uh, an Indian um, back when they used white people to play Indians, or <laughs> wait, what do you mean back in two thousand one? Oh, I'm sorry, like, Native Americans, but he calls them Indians. Yeah, um, uh, and is basi- basically tells Barton like, "Are you sure you want to be a writer? Like, we can always use more Indians. Yeah. The writers are a dime a dozen." Uh, and they go and have lunch, and he's. He's drinking milk and whiskey, and it's I so had it's so fifties. <laughs> like, take a sip of your fucking milk and yeah. then a sip of your fucking whiskey. It's Mi- milk goes with the sandwich. Whiskey's just because <laughs> you need whiskey. <laughs> and uh, Barton's starting to express the first uh, rumblings of his writer's block. Um, should I just jump in here and say that this? story itself was written because of writer's block. Um, oh. This feels like the place to say it. Okay. Uh, so basically, this is the Coens' third film? No, wait. It's even their fourth, I think, which is wild. But, okay, so they were writing their second film, Miller's Crossing, and they were having trouble with it. So what basically happened is Joel Cohen went and did this to kind of get something out of his system. Yeah. So basically wrote a script about writer's block. To get rid of his writer's block. Yeah. So, that's so there's smart. that. <laughs> um, and he's saying, you know, I, I don't really get what this is about. And the Geisler character's like, what about are you talking about? It's a wrestling picture. Like, why are you getting so highfalutin with You're this? You're overthinking it. Yeah, it's super overthinking it. Like, Wallace Berry, wrestling picture. And yeah, I didn't even know up until today that there was such a thing as wrestling pictures back then. I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really either. I I know there were, like, boxing pictures. Like, right? There's, like, the champ or whatever. I well, mean, it makes sense. People still like to watch 
you know, WWE and, and wrestling. It's like a, it's fun. It's theatrical. It's, it is very, um, you know. Greco-Roman? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, I mean, I guess maybe that's kind of like the message of, well, part of the message is like, there's a lot of drama here. Why can't you see that there's drama? Yeah, here? the inherent drama isn't enough for you. It's like you well, have to construct something. It's like it writes itself, man. Um, but he tells him, okay, like, I'm not gonna babysit you. He doesn't literally say this, but basically, Geyser's like, well, why don't you consult with another writer if you're having trouble with guidance? Because uh, the only guidance I'm gonna give you, which is good guidance, is it's a wrestling picture. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he says, uh, well, which, which writer should I do? And in one of my favorite lines, uh, Ben Geisler, who uh, no character in the history of film that I've seen has more openly wanted to punch a writer in the face than <laughs> Ben Geisler. And he says to Barton, well, if you, if you throw a stone in this room, you'll hit one. Yep. And then he adds, do me a favor, throw it hard. <laughs> and, and this is when we meet Bill Mayhew. Um, John Mahoney, who I, I'm a John Mahoney fangirl, like super, I love John Mahoney so much. Hey, Fraze. Fraze, you <laughs> said anything. Uh, what, uh, oh my God, why am I blanking? The baseball movie we just did. Yes. Eight men out. <laughs> yeah, uh, John Mahoney's run in the early, uh, late eighties, early nineties is just so, so good. He's, uh, barfing in the bathroom at the same time Barton is peeing mm-hmm. in the urinal and but he's got a his his uh pocket yeah, he's got a little square coochie. he's yeah. uh he's kneeling on that to puke so it's like very um it's strangely like dignified you know when he walks out and he apologizes introduces himself but it's like he's a man unbothered like he's in the same work as Barton Fink is, but he, in the same career, but he's completely unbothered. I mean, a severe alcoholic, but... Oh, yeah. But he's, like, he's detached from the whole process in a way that Barton isn't. Uh, yeah. Um, and what I like is, like, he's very different than Barton, but they both have, like, their pretensions. Oh, uh, very much so. Very different pretensions. Very different. <laughs> oh, and he's got a, a dandy southern accent, of course. Yes. He, he speaks like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> he is definitely a um, colonel type. Uh, Bill Mayhew. And so, Barton's like, oh my god, I love you, you're the greatest novelist of our time, and um, basically, you know, tries to get advice from him. And Mayhew turns him down and says, I have I'm drinking, drinking to now. do. Yeah. <laughs> I have drinking to do. <laughs> uh, but come by later, uh, which goes predictably poorly because he spent the day drinking. Mm-hmm. And so, but he ends up meeting his uh, writing assistant, Audrey, his PA, uh, played by, I think the actress's name is Julie Waters. Oh my God. And I feel really bad if I'm blanking on this, um, but uh, she's really good and she's in... Uh, Cronenberg's Naked Lunch, uh, which is also a very good movie. Um, And yeah, so basically she apologizes on Mayhew's behalf, and but it kind of strikes up a friendship with Barton because Barton doesn't know anyone other than John Goodman, other than Charlie Meadows in the city, and so and so yeah, they strike up a little friendship, and uh, the scene is punctuated by John Mahoney screaming, "Honey." 
I couldn't tell if he was saying honey or money. But either way, it was... <laughs> I got, where's, where's my honey I've written it here and put in a box? Honey? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was very funny. Uh, and then we go back to him not writing in his dank hotel room. Did you also notice that the, the picture that he's um, writing on is called Slave Ship? I did not. Like, on the door where they, um, of his uh, room, the bungalow, yeah. it says, like, building number, writer, name, and then oh. it says picture that they're working on, and it's called Slave Ship. Oh, man. So I think that was kind of a sly detail to include that you have this, like, wasted white man right. writing... <laughs> Southerner, too. Yeah, like, writing some, you know story that truly does not belong to him wow that's a good catch yeah Jess. oh thank my you. god that's why i'm the best that's why they're the best what am i telling you people <laughs> up your game uh so we go back to the hotel room and uh, charlie shows up again uh and this time he gives Barton a little advice on on what wrestling is and and pins him to the floor very quickly uh and let me see uh Oh, we also get the first hint, um, not that, like, Barton isn't a good writer, but he starts talking about his family life, and the thing I notice is, like, oh, wait, his family life sounds a lot like that one play, the only thing he's ever been celebrated for, so it's, like, the first seed of, like, mm. is this guy a good writer, or does he just have, like, one story, the story of his life, yep. the only life he pays attention to, and, like, that's what he's written. Uh, and that'll come up again later in the film. Uh, but he's, you know, he goes on again on another intellectual rant. He's like, there's just no roadmap to the life of the mind. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> which is another line that'll come up again. So my favorite, or one of my favorite professors in my creative writing program, which also this movie did have a, is a person that's trying to write something. I I did unfortunately resonate with him even in his like douchebagness. Mm -hmm. The you know I understand it is difficult, but I had a professor who used to say like, "Yes, writing is hard, but it's not coal mining." Like just just like not over exaggerate how difficult it is. It can be hard and it can be painful. Right. But there are people doing truly hard things yeah. <laughs> treacherous a, work yeah monotonous yeah. dangerous yes. thankless you know i mean so i was kind of thinking about that that's funny because normally i don't want to jump ahead but why not like there is a point where barton finally has some success or at least thinks he does and like he goes to a uso dance which is this movie takes place in the height of world war ii yep when America's, like, about to enter the war. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really put this together before, but what I took from it this time is, like, here are some people who are going to go do a really hard thing. They're risking their lives. Yes, they're going to fight yeah. fascists. They're yeah. trying to party before they might die. Yeah. Oh, but I'm a writer! <laughs> uh, do you know, when he yells at him, I'm a writer and I've written something good. Do you know how hard that is? <laughs> I mean, like... I was fucking laughing, and I was laughing at myself, too, because it's really hard, but you aren't a soldier, and you aren't risking your life, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not... It's writing. <laughs> it's writing. Um, and then... Then we get another Bill Mayhew scene, 
where uh, I actually love the touch of this because, like, I, I just love the way they like poke writerly hypocrisy because it's like Mayhew, in a very different way, as I've said, than Fink is like extremely self-regarding mm -hmm. and like in some ways is more like openly pretentious at least in like a I love myself way than Fink is and just you know it's just like all flowery soliloquies coming out of his mouth and the first thing we see is him like tossing a signed book to Fink <laughs> but he like knocks over shit because he's a fucking <laughs> drunk <laughs> so like everything he thinks he's doing so smooth he's also as my best friend Ben Geisler says a souse. Yeah, a uh, souse. Souse! <laughs> Man, he was a souse! Souse! <laughs> Tony Shalhoub, baby! He's my boy. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I. do you guys remember kind of like the writing of the scene? Because, I mean, the gist we get at the end is... Bill Mayhew's a, a piece of shit, which we probably yeah. figured out by this Because I, I think before he was, it was sort of like a friendly drunk kind of thing, but whenever he puts his hand out and he actually strikes her, yeah, that's like the part where the, you're kind of like, oh, he's a really bad guy. But then he goes, even Barton Fink says to her, he says, he's like, what a son of a bitch. He goes, but he's a great writer. He's still a good artist. And that's interesting because we still have that conversation today. Yeah, about you do. People. There's a lot of, what a son of a bitch, but he can dance. But that art, yeah. <laughs> it's like that, oh, he's an artist. And it's, I think, also poking fun at that excuse that we give to people to get away with bad behavior. Absolutely, yeah. Cause then, he, and he's the one saying, oh, he's an asshole, you know, ditch him, come with me. But he's still not, he's still worshiping at the, like, work that he's quote unquote done. But we find out that it's actually, yeah. I know that's a, oh, my, I mean, spoilers. But well, uh, we find that out soon. It came out on 1991, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I forgot we're supposed to say that this is a spoiler full podcast. But you know what? People aren't really freaking out about that too I much anymore. Game so. of Thrones is off the air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, folks, Audrey is, is the woman behind the man that is Bill Mayhew. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the last we see of Bill Mayhew, he's just like wandering up drunk. And, and when I heard it this time, is he like singing basically a black spiritual? Is that what it was? Because well, he's, he's like, I, my, my baby don't. Or I thought it was Thine as the Glory, but he's then. He's singing a song called Old Black Joe. But oh, then God. he. Like, at first it, it sounds like it could be yeah. about his life, and then, like, and the then, last words. Okay, are, yeah, I guess I missed the tail end of that. Like, he's just such a, like, grandiloquent poser in a lot of ways like yeah i mean she's been writing all of his work and he's just been yeah. screaming like a madman and taking all the credit oh my god echoes of the big lebowski now that i think of it all yeah like also fake <laughs> well i thought about that too about like recurring things in big lebowski um okay why can't i think of his name the assistant to mr lebowski oh brand yeah yeah. So his character is also that suffering, like, I, th I think the Coen brothers do a good job at playing with um, power dynamics, especially, like, mm -hmm. in groups of men. Um, right. They, like, who has the authority, who's dominant, who's submissive, um, and they can make some really great, like, comedy intention with that. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, it's usually, like, a a woman ends up getting 
her toe cut off or I was wondering if they, you know, famously uh, Tarantino has the foot fetish. But <laughs> I noticed they do, they, they play with feet a lot, the Coen brothers. Like, it's maybe not as sexual, but, like, when he's like, kiss my, or I'm going to kiss your feet. Yeah. Like, you know, make him kiss your feet. And then he kisses the bottom of his foot, too. Yeah, it's like, you usually could have so kissed the top of that shoe. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> Jack Lipnick is, wait, no, I don't know. But, like, my thought was, like, is he a boot, bootlicker? I mean, he ends up being in the military. He ends uh, up yeah. with that uniform, right? And he's fighting on the American side, but the thing I couldn't figure out, sidebar, is Jack Lipnick supposed to be Jewish? Yeah. So he's, a, but a self-hating one. A self-hating one. Jew. Yeah, because he's calling everyone else the K-word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and like, the kissing of the feet, like, I think of the Bible, is that, like, kind of, like, almost religious imagery of, like, how to greet a person? Like Yeah, well, he said in, in the old country... We had no problem with supplicating ourselves to someone right. that we respect. Right. Because, like, Jesus from got Mint, his feet kissed, right? right? Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. He's, he said he's from New York, but if you want to go way back, Minsk, but Minsk. we don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Minsk is Russia? Which, what country is Minsk? Do you guys I know? I think it's Russia. It could be both. Or maybe. Maybe it's Russia. No, it's Russia. Because doesn't, doesn't Bible Mouse go with Minsk? <laughs> I think maybe. <laughs> yes, this is how we learned everything, everyone. <laughs> from we were not given public school <laughs> educations in America, okay? Uh, the Mouskowitz family taught me everything I know. Mouskowitz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you know that this country we live in has no cats? It's true. No, not kidding. <laughs> um, Sorry. Okay, uh, moving on. Um, yeah, Mayhew is a self-satisfied souse, as Ben Geisler will tell you when you hang out with him, which you should. He's great. Uh, and then, oh yeah, this is when another hint is dropped that Barton Fink might only have one story in him, is he literally starts typing up the opening to his play. Mm-hmm. And in like one of the biggest laugh lines for me, is just like he types up his play and then inelegantly the next paragraph grabs <laughs> on a man in tights. <laughs> it's just like add that to like any story. <laughs> just like <laughs> yeah, that and then he looks up uh, Gideon's Bible and it starts with the same word. Yeah, yeah. with the exactly. well, that's him like hallucinating. I think. Yeah, oh, okay. but it would, it would be like if you wrote like it was the best of times, <laughs> it was the worst of times. Enter a man in tights. So I think the thing that made me laugh the hardest was when. John John Goodman is trying to get him on his back to do the wrestling. And he's like, come on, come on. (laughs) And he's like looking back at him like that. Let's let's wrestle. That was so funny, though. I don't know. That really, really cracked me up. Oh, no. (laughs) Me too. Uh, So then, uh, does John Goodman show up again? Um, Yeah, he, he comes in for a second. And um, that's when John Goodman notices the wallpaper peeling off and says, oh, yeah. oh, your room does that too, eh? Yeah, and that's after when your best friend gives him the instruction that he needs to have something by the next morning. Uh, so right. that's what sends him into the, the panic. Right. So then, so yeah, basically he goes in to visit Ben Geisler in the last Ben Geisler scene, which is a shame. He should be in every scene. Um, and he's like, I don't have anything. And Geisler freaks out. And he also freaks out because he's like, You made the mistake of making Jack Lipnick like you. 
Never make Lipnick like you. And uh, Bill Mayhew is a souse. So you've consorted with the wrong writer. You made the dumb producer like you. And you don't have anything. The only solution... Oop, can we still hear me? Yeah. Rob is reclipping me. Uh, is, that, is to get you in and... Sorry. Is to get you, you in? Keep Hold on. on it. I keep rubbing on it. Um, cool, cool. Uh, and have you watched some wrestling pictures? <laughs> and he's on the phone. I'm right, sorry. but it's just the uh, dailies. It's the dailies, so. so it's just the repeat of each take of him going... What do you say? Like, I I'm, will destroy you. I will destroy him. I will destroy him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like the, the director. Yeah, the director I've seen is obviously pissed off too. And he's just like, cut. No, that wasn't yeah. right. Cut. And the guy's doing it almost exactly the same way each time. <laughs> if Okay, I have a casting. If this movie was to be remade, which it shouldn't be because um, it's great. But, you know, if I was to recast this movie in 2021... I for Barton Fink, I would cast um, Moshi Kasher. Oh, <laughs> Moshi He's a he's a comedian. Okay. Um, if you he's a very very funny comic, but um, he has like I think the sensibility he would be able to pull off a Barton Fink type role. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, he's not on Succession, is he? I haven't watched Succession. Uh, I don't. I, don't I so, would no. like to, but I have not yet. Oh my god! I, I encourage everyone. I love that show. It's been hyped up to me, and I'm excited to binge it at some point. Um, I wouldn't actually call it Cohen-y, but it kind of scratches a Cohen itch for me, <laughs> in that it's like super dramatic, occasionally tragic, uh-huh. and yet somehow also funny. Okay, at the same that time. you you've you've been the first person to actually <laughs> use words to convince me. Besides, it's really good. You gotta <laughs> it's watch so it. Good. You gotta watch it. And I'm like, it's okay, so but it's for cool. you to cool. say that it scratches a Cohen-y itch actually does make me want to Granted, check it out. I'll, I'll tell some people who love the show it's a comedy, and they'll look at me like I'm crazy. So I could be crazy. I think things that are dark are very funny, so yeah. I'll probably agree with you. So, uh, but, but so on the plot synopsis, we finally come to everything. Oh. All the loneliness and isolation unraveling into... The denouement. Yeah. Is this when he calls Audrey? Yes. And um, that's when we find out that Audrey has been writing the last couple of Jack's, or Bill Mayhew's books... And um, probably all of his screenplays. Probably all his screenplays, because she's trying to not say too much, and and Barton goes into a very Barton-focused rant, as Barton mm-hmm. is wont to do. Um, and then they make love, because um, she's... And, and the word that gets, like, uh, re- repetition of words, I'm going to get into this later, is a very cohen thing. Like, both meaningful words and words that don't mean anything, like they love repetition... And one of them that gets repeated to Barton, I think, at least a few times, is understanding, mm-hmm. which is his problem. Like he's he doesn't understand. He's so in his own head. Like yeah. He just and so I guess she's trying to get him to loosen up and understand, um, which like I don't know if like there's any problem with this as like a problematic trope that Audrey both has to be killed to move the plot forward and sleep with Barton, but but it is what happens. Yeah. Um, I did mention off mic that this movie would not even halfway pass the Bechdel test. No. There's, <laughs> what, like two maybe two. named uh, women characters 
one that's way more minor than Audrey is, and, like, her, the only thing she's ever talking about is either Barton's writing or about Bill Mayhew's writing or about, like, she has absolutely not one ounce of agency. I still think it's a great film, but I just had to point that out. No, you're right. I If I had to, like, jelly beans in a jar, I'd guess it. Um, and this would be very easy because there are not many jelly beans. <laughs> by which I mean women. Um, Women's are jelly beans. <laughs> I want to say there are, like, five. No, six <laughs> if you count the, the oh, dancing girl at the There USA is show. one thing that we did not talk about, and it's, for me, a huge part of this movie. It's the choker that the woman is wearing um, when he first goes to the party after his play. It's pearls. It's three strands of pearls. And then it's a a rhinestone hand clasping. And it's so cool, y'all. If I could get that necklace, I would absolutely get it. But I I mean, I loved it. That's really cool. It's really amazing. Keep an eye out for that if uh, if you watch this film. If anybody's listening, Make sure you buy just that necklace. Yeah, or recreate it, whatever you need to do to get it to me. I'm flexible. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, yes. but I'm like, you know, some great women's fashion, but not so much uh, women. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, wait, I'm going to listen. I think it's like USO lady. Yep. Ben Geisler's secretary who yep. doesn't say anything. Who doesn't say anything. Lipnick's secretary, who maybe says something. Who says, like, two words. Audrey, yeah, Audrey's cool. Yeah. Um, and then the the choker lady at the beginning. Yeah, that's yeah, it. that's it. Oh, and the one at the, at the end, at, on the beach. Yeah. It's probably not a real lady. Maybe. That's, I mean, yeah, it's like... That's, anyway. And so out <laughs> of all those jelly beans, one jelly bean gets murdered. So uh, it's like... <laughs> We, we know, you know. It is also the most fleshed out of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The most fleshed out jelly bean must be the one that is murdered. Um, so. And I think all this movie is great, but this is probably the part that's most, like, wheel spinny plotty to me, because it's just like, okay, uh, Charlie Meadows comes in, yeah. he has to help Barton dodge the murder, and then some some FBI agents or whatever... Who are like straight I out of love the them Brothers. Too. They rule. The one, the one like the darker, the the tanner of the two. I was like, if this was remade, John Hamm could play Ooh, him yes, in a heartbeat. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh my God, so yeah. that. Um, who would you cast for the shorter one? The shorter one, I hadn't really. Nothing like struck me out of yeah. out of nowhere, but. Mm, Maybe we should have a short lady in that part. That's a good idea. Maybe, maybe like AD Bryant would be good because yeah, it's kind okay. of comedic. Oh my you god, know? I like this. You're yeah, like, these are curveballs. I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, I'm trying to get more jelly beans in this movie. Seriously, I, I don't know like every any actor's name. Pizza party. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> Can't participate. Uh, so yes, let's talk about the unraveling so we can finish up the the dad there okay, plot yeah. synopsis. Uh, so so the agents are grilling Barton, and he's like, "Yeah, it's funny, like because he, he cuts off the head. Yeah, he's funny like that." He's protective though. Well, still, well, we haven't quite mentioned that she dies after. We did mention. Oh, it. did we mention? No, well, I guess we didn't say it. Did we- well, we didn't say it. We-, we didn't say it explicitly. Thought, yes. Yeah. Okay. She- like what happens? She's- so he they fuck. They go to bed. He wakes up in the morning. He sees a mosquito. 
Mm -hmm. He's been told mosquitoes don't come here because it's a swamp, or they love swamps, and this is a desert. We all know there's mosquitoes. But he smacks the mosquito. Then then there's, like, some blood from where the mosquito had been sucking. And then uh, after that, he, he touches her body... And uh, blood begins to pool underneath her. Yeah. On, yeah. She's on I her mean, side. I mean, also, she didn't wake up when he slapped her. When he slapped her, <laughs> she didn't flinch or anything. Um, so then it's very much, you know, he screams. That was actually pretty funny, too, when, yeah. like, he shrieks. And, and then, then Charlie you know, comes Charlie running. Comes and he's like, are you, everything okay? And he's like, yeah, everything's good. And, like, shuts the door. <laughs> yeah, that's- and it's all done in such a heightened fashion that, like, for a second, especially, well, the first time, I was like, oh, this could be a dream. Like, this seems dream sequence like. Yeah, that's what I thought as and, well. Yeah. Uh, but it's not. No. <laughs> it is no. not a dream. No, I mean, and it was definitely a, a twist. It didn't feel like that's where the movie was headed. Yeah. It felt like it was headed towards a resolution about him writing something or, you know, I mean, that does happen. But it does. It's it is odd actually that it happens after this person he presumably cares about is murdered. He actually finds the ability to write something finally. Well, and, yeah, and then that's after he tells the movie producer, "I can't discuss a I work in progress." Talk, yeah, exactly. And then also though, um, that's when the producer uh, says, "If he didn't lie, he wouldn't." Uh, be a hundred feet from this pool unless he was cleaning it. Yeah. So he's talking about how necessary it is to lie. Yeah. And then you see Barton go, okay. He's like, he's gradually giving in. It's That's something I think they do really well, moving this plot forward. At first, he's asked if he ha- he wants a drink. And he goes, no, it's too early for me. And then at the end, he's like, you want a drink? And he's like, rye whiskey, please. Like, so it's it's sort of like dealing with that town dealing with those pressures have gotten well said to everybody in the movie and he's he's judging them but now he's becoming the same as them right it's like, yeah the see erosion. this town eats everybody up i see what you mean uh-huh. now <laughs> until by the end he's he's got his own little stable <laughs> <laughs> but um before the film can end uh, Charlie Meadows, uh, who we now know is named Herman Munt, a.k.a. Madman Munt, uh, who likes to uh, shoot people's heads off. Is that his thing? He shoots them with a shotgun, then cuts their heads then off. Then cuts their heads but off. But also, she wasn't shot, right? We don't know. We don't, don't know, think. but like, I feel like a bullet would have woken him yeah, up. Yeah, would have woken I mean, everybody I kind of murder would have woken him up. Like, especially one that involves blood. But this is just me and my true crime background coming out. But yeah, like, I, I, I couldn't figure like, it out. I thought it was maybe a stabbing or, like, I know, but the do you WP know, you, had you come. You do have to, like, stab someone quite a bit yeah. to kill them. I don't like, want to get, like, gory, but, like, yeah. she's got a big wound on her side. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, how did he not hear that? How did he not hear any... I mean, if he's just passed out, he sleeps really deeply, but also... Charlie's the one that, like, says you can hear everything, and maybe it's through the pipes. And, mm-hmm. like, after they go to sleep, yeah. that's, like, the image. Or, like, after, you know, whatever, they're in bed together. They go down into the pipe right. in the bathroom throughout and underneath right. the yeah. room. 
Yeah. So it was like, did he, he heard him have someone in the room and he came to kill her? That part I think for sure. You I know? just don't know why he didn't wake up. I guess he's just not in good headspace. So. I guess it just doesn't move the plot forward for him to have it woken up. <laughs> <laughs> so he needs to stay asleep. Maybe, maybe Barton Fink is a Barton Fink script. Uh, <laughs> and, but then, but Monk comes back with the fires of hell behind him. Um, which opens the also, question... The package. Oh, the was package. her head in that fucking package? I feel like we're meant to think that. That's kind of what I thought um, from the get-go Me when too. when he uh, disposed of the body. Yeah. And then comes back with the thing. I'm like, yeah, that's he comes about back head, with the head size. Yep. And then like, when they thunk it, another good thunk mm-hmm. uh, from the sound uh, crew over there. It like yeah, it just lands with this like thud when he puts it on the table. Yeah. I mean, we also. Don't ever find out if his uh, parents survived. No, and also, that was my thought. It was, once he finds out from the FBI guys that this guy's a murderer and he doesn't call his family. Yeah. I was like, you gave him their address, but at this point, does he still trust him? I guess he's, like, got complicated feelings for him. Uh, Because he protects him. He doesn't say, like... Yeah, he, he could have told him a lot more besides, you know, oh, he likes this director, he likes this movie. But he's also trying to protect himself because he thinks he's going to be implicated because the murder happened in his room. Yeah, there's, Which there's a lot back of... back to your point of, like, his erosion, he's, like, in it. Yeah. There, yeah, in, there's a lot of noir like, in this part of the movie because mm-hmm. it's, like, it doesn't really matter specifically what happened or how. It's more just, like, this person's now in this situation. Look how they react to it. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, yeah, and so... Uh, so, lots of back. questions. He comes back, he saves him from the FBI, who's got him handcuffed to the bed. Uh, he screams, I will show you the life of the mind, probably seven times. Which was so fantastic. I mean, I'm sorry, but... No, it is. To have your own stupid fucking thing you said, like, thrown back at you. (laughs) Like, that was so good. And then the whole place is on fire, and Charlie's like, well, I'm going to my room now. (laughs) I know, which I assume is that, like, him dying by suicide? Yeah. I mean, if the whole thing was on fire in the first place, (laughs) like, there's also the, and it's probably because it's John Goodman, but I kind of look at it and go, like, this is a lot like the Cyclops in No Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Big, evil, big, bad. Yeah, I mean, I saw it that way, too, but it was like, he frees him, but he's also, you know, ruined his life, or, you know, like, implicates that he murdered his parents and his uncle, and, I mean, almost, in a way, like, here's something to write about, like, you know. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's that's interesting, or like, part of me like felt like a big like Twilight Zone episode like this because we're shown early on uh, this movie teases out lots of stuff. Yep. Um, that the hotel's really hot. Yep. And now it's maybe like, oh, this hotel just has like flames in the walls that mm-hmm. sometimes come out, and this poor guy who may or may not be Satan himself just has a residency here, um, and brings the flames with him. And so we're in a, a Twilight Zone hotel uh, of hell, and that's what all of Hollywood is, is just an outer realms hellscape land. Yeah. 
So then Barton well, goes the to the, the producer, right? And yeah. the producer tells him his script is shit mm-hmm. and that there's a war on, so uh, he's just, he's just going to be an indentured servant who will never get anything. Which is his absolute nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. To, to have to stay put but not be able to make... Anything good. The work that he wants. That, that, yeah, exactly. And then the last scene at the beach, I, I don't even know if it's real or not. Yeah, I'm wondering, is, is that supposed to be the lady that was on the poster on his wall? Of course it was, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, when I saw that, I... Also, <laughs> I love that the woman, like, even in the picture that he's staring at all the time, she doesn't even have a face. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> come on. Um, but she, yeah. Jelly I, beans have faces, Jelly damn beans it. have faces and feelings, okay? <laughs> but yeah. she... It was definitely, like, this recreation, but it's, like, is that saying that the you find what you want from art out in life? Or that, because it's, like, this moment of recognition for him, and he feels like everything's coming together. And then he says, are you in the pictures? Which is, like, the sleaziest line in the books, right? Yeah, it's, it's what everybody like in what LA everybody says. says. Yeah. To some beautiful woman that sits down next to them and they want to use whatever power or clout they have to get her interested in them. It's like, are you in the pictures? Because I am, you know? Yeah, but also he, he yeah. doesn't uh, answer any of her questions. He just says, I don't know. I don't know. Is it your box? Yeah. She goes, he's, he's like, like I'm, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Which, I mean, we know that he really doesn't. But wouldn't that be the most infuriating person that you ever bumped into if on the beach and asked them that question? I don't know if it's mine. I don't know what's in it. If You're a stranger like, was talking to me and they didn't know what the fuck was inside of the box they were holding, I would not be yeah, stoked on it. I would be like, what the I hell? wouldn't have sat down and gazed. I would have, like, kept running. But, you know, but then, they had to get that shot yeah. at the end. But then the last line of the movie is hers, right? And what does she say? Don't be silly? Is that how yeah. she responds? Yeah, don't be silly. Which, like... It's interesting to me because it's like the arrogance to even think that you are just because you live in L.A. part of it. And yeah. it's like, is he really part of it? I mean, he's got like a little box he lives in, but nothing he does is going to matter the way he clearly thinks he should matter, the they, way he wanted it to. They did the boulder crash again. They did the boulder crash again? Which I love a boulder crash because Grease was my like one of my favorite movies during childhood and it starts off with such a... Oh. Iconic boulder crash. I forgot that. It's like very. It, I think it's the most iconic boulder crash for uh, summer nights. <laughs> well, yeah, it was like <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's like sorry. What okay, if this movie ended with summer nights? <laughs> um, well, yeah, and that's the movie. Yes. So Brady and I are going to go do understudy, and then we'll come back and do how did you like it? Sounds huh? good. Okay. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors To do the scene from this screenplay But we've got two understudies And to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway So try to catch the actors, try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y couch This game called understudy Is happening, happening, happening right now well, I'm pathetic. I'm a loser. So, what is the substance of writing? I have failed. I'm s- panicked. 
first. I am. Um, what the fuck was I? Am I doing here? That one. <laughs> Always. What the fuck the, am I doing here? The imperative to tell stories. Amazing. It's my weakness. My ultimate lack of conviction that brings me here. Easy answers. Rules to uh, shortcut yourself to success. To the end of the line. And here I am. Because my jaunt into the abyss brought me nothing. Well, isn't that just the, the risk one takes for attempting something new? Uh, I should leave here now. I'll start over. Uh, I need to face this project head on. And God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. Any idiot can write voiceover narration to explain the thoughts of a character. Okay, that's it. One hour for lunch. You cannot have a protagonist without desire. It doesn't make any sense. Any fucking sense. You follow? Good. Anyone else? Yes. Well, sir, what would you say if the writer is attempting to create a story where nothing much happens, where people don't change? Uh, they don't have any epiphanies? They, they struggle and are frustrated and nothing is resolved. More of a reflection of the real world. Hmm. The real world? Y yeah, sir. The real fucking world. First of all, you write a screenplay without conflict or crisis. You'll bore your audience to tears. But secondly, nothing happens in the world. Are you out of your fucking mind? People are murdered every day. There's genocide, war, corruption. Every fucking day, somewhere in the world, someone sacrifices his life to save somebody else, man. Every day, someone somewhere takes a conscious decision to destroy someone else. People find love, people lose it. For Christ's sake, a child watches her mother beaten to death on the steps of a church. Someone goes hungry. Someone else betrays his best friend for a woman. If you can't find that stuff in life, you don't know crap about life. And why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? I don't have any use for it. I don't have any bloody use for it. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C A R N Y Couch. Hey, that was a fun, fun round of understudy, don't you think, Brady? Uh, fine. Yeah, I had fun. That's yeah. what I Because I, I love um, that monologue. Thank you for letting me do the monologue part. You're I welcome. Love that monologue. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. But now we do the 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 the, the thing about her. The this one. Hey hey hey! How do we like it? Hey Jess, you want to go first? How do you like this movie? I like this movie quite a bit. I thought it was um, very interesting, very good characterization, very good script, um, amazing performances. I'm a a huge fan of Art Deco and the costumes. Like, I mean, I thought this movie had a lot to offer in multiple aspects. I would definitely, definitely recommend it to anyone that hadn't seen it. Um, 
obviously taking off points because of the jelly beans, but I would <laughs> still give it. I would still give it an extremely high score. Like it's it's a great great movie. Yeah, I think that makes sense, Brady. Uh, you obviously really like this movie. I think you you're the one who chose it. I uh, did. I, I guess. Wait, did I? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's I our guess first I did. one in six months. So. I guess I did. <laughs> I, I must have. Um, uh, yeah, probably on some John Mahoney kick. I'm surprised I haven't seen it, honestly. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't until really recently. It's it's one of those ones. Um, sorry, I'm so spacey, guys. I'm Don't so worry tired. about it. Same, same. I wish I was drinking a coffee, but then I would not sleep. So so the beer is good. <laughs> Um, I love this movie. It's great. Um, th- honestly, like, okay, Coens are my favorite living directors at the moment. Um, because I just, uh, I think the sheer number of just, like, masterpiece level, like, uh, and very, very revisitable work they've done, like, eclipses, uh, everyone. <laughs> they've just done a lot of great work. Um, and yeah... The thing about them is, like, A, I find a lot of mystery to revisit in their stuff, which this definitely did for me. Like, just in discussing the plot, I feel like we dipped into a, a lot of the great ideas it has going on. And yet it's still, their films always work so good as surface objects as mm-hmm. well. Like, like you say, the sound design, mm-hmm. uh, the art deco, just, like, every facet is so, like, well-oiled. It's just, like... A perfect little contraption with like some really interesting ideas and, and they're the king of character actors mm-hmm. just like uh you know ben geisler <laughs> john mahoney see one of them is an actor john mahoney and the other is the real man ben geisler he's played by tony shalhoub but he exists um and just yeah so many like there's like five like perfect Supporting performances in this movie—it's just insane. Um, and Torturo's great. Who, yeah, he's wonderful. Who the Coens basically helped to make, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let me get my energy back. Uh, yeah, I I love this movie. I think it has a lot to say, which I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, just um, I, I I love the way the Coens befuddle me and make me laugh while also unnerving me mm-hmm. it's just great stuff yeah i liked it too but mm-hmm. i'm yes. not quite sure why yet because it's very dense and there's a lot going on and you're 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 like hmm well don't quite know where to go with all of this because there are some i don't know what i should just disregard and be like okay if i don't get that part it's just scenery and mm-hmm. we can go on from here or this and that so i like it but I'm going to have to sit with it for a while to figure out how much. <laughs> That's right. You know, because it's, it, it is rather dense. There's, there's a lot there. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it and what's it all about, which is next, which is now. <laughs> what's it all about? It's coming up so and, fast. And the fact is, is that um, I don't think anyone really knows. Thoughts? <laughs> What's it all about? I mean, I I feel like it was about in in the same way that they were poking fun at the writing the writing process and writers. I do 
I do think that there's a lot of uh, truth to what the the pain and the the struggle that they were portraying, but it was a reminder personally to not maybe take the work as seriously, even if it is important to you, and to you can take the work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. Maybe. Yeah. I, I mean... Yeah. I, um... I... Hmm. Sorry, I, I was going to tie it in with what you said before about, like, the pain and the suffering and, and all that sort of stuff, because that was the main thing that I got up until, you know, she gets killed and uh, everything goes mm-hmm. kind of completely haywire. Was I was just focusing on, uh, you know, like, the building is falling apart around him and it's hot and it's unpleasant. Yeah. And uh, just the loneliness and isolation that Charlie talks about uh, before, you know, it turns out to be a mass murdering guy. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was just kind of focusing on uh, loneliness and isolation and, you know, the, the kind of falling apart building around them also was a symbol of that. And then, then I got confused because it goes all, all crazy style. And I'm like, I don't know what to say about all that yet. <laughs> I'm going to have to have some dreams <laughs> or never sleep again. <laughs> I mean, cause, I mean, they're entertaining you while they're trying to, I think, get that point across. So those like twists and turns, that's like, it's like, what's for the sake of, you know, the plot, but also like he, he isn't paying attention. He's not, he's not really listening. He isn't listening to, to, um, Charlie Meadows, he's not listening to his stories, and he's become a an artist, a self obsessed artist that needs to pull his head out of his fucking ass. <laughs> and if he was paying attention, he might have a different experience of the world, a different um, the the ability to really perceive instead of just um, be so caught up in his own version of things and his own uh, desire to construct reality how he wants it to be and not how it is you know do you think he noticed the seagull dying at the end i don't know has he made his transition at that point that maybe he saw that (laughs) maybe he was paying attention enough i mean i was like i and i think it's like the there is that when when he's walking along the coastline and the Waves are crashing down. You know, I'm from Santa Barbara. And I was thinking about Santa Barbara and about Southern California and its lure and its pull on people. Like, so many people travel or move to this location expecting one thing and then getting another. And yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's gorgeous. But there's other things that come along with that. Yeah, whatever greatness that you want to try to get for get put forth and do out there. Look, man, you're just a, another person doing another thing. Yeah, it's not another really person that, with a dream. There's all these people everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. everyone has a struggle, and everyone has a purpose, and it's not just the people that have the mind's life, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, it must be so nice for you to get up every day and know what you're gonna do, and he doesn't even ask him. 
why were you crying in your room? Like, you know, what were, like, what's going yeah. on? He doesn't even say. He just accepts the apology and thinks that the world is supposed to be revolving around him. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's about ego. Mm-hmm. Ego. Um, and, and those parts that are, like, more plotty, I think, are kind of, like, in, like, your, uh, like, Roman Polanski repulsion-type mode of, like, the claustrophobia itself and, like, the sense of the walls coming in is part of it. So, like, and, and maybe that's, like, because this movie's very critical of Barton, and it should be, because he doesn't listen. But um, it is, I think, sympathetic to how hard it can be yeah. to, like, not get out of, out of your own head and to feel the pressure coming in and to just be like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Which is, which is why the Coens wrote it, because they were feeling that way about making Miller's Crossing. Uh, so it's about the life of the mind. Um, uh, but it's also, I think, a good story. Like you were saying, like, it's it's puncturing pretension, both in terms of saying, like, you should listen more, and also in terms of, like, <laughs> just like that funny bit about him, like, grafting on his, like, highfalutin, hoity-toity screenplay onto the wrestling picture, as if, like, it, it reminds me of, like, my biggest criticisms with Oscar, where, like, they think, oh, to make a film great, you need, like, this or that thing, and, and wh- whatever this and, or that is happens to be, like, very, like, thought of as high-minded. Yes. And so, like, the divide of, like, this is highbrow, this is lowbrow. And what the smart people, especially my friend Ben Geisler, seem to see is, like, <laughs> there is drama in the low thing. Tell the low thing well, and, like, you're gold. Like, the, the Coens made one of their best films ever about a, a mystery involving bowling. Also, I don't know if this is true, but this is something that I've heard about Big Lebowski, was that it was... A writing exercise essentially that they came up with a few like restraints or constraints to mm-hmm. writing the script so it had to include bowling it had to include a kidnapping and oh. it had to it like I don't know if that's hearsay but that's what I've that is my hearsay that I've heard someone say and I've always found that really fascinating because people are it's like the the paradox of choice it's actually harder to do something when you think you can do anything rather than to have some guidelines about what you need to actually do right. and that you know it's like it's so much more helpful for someone to say like can you make me chocolate cupcakes for my birthday than to be like i want dessert you right, know right. it's like yeah. okay what's what do you mean by dessert like there's one million desserts so what are we gonna do Right, and then the the uh, the other side of that is sometimes yeah. people will give themselves constraints and set set them up that way um, on purpose to um, you know kind of create that. But then sometimes they'll um, you know like Barton Fink in this case he was doing it like oh I, I, it has to be great right yeah and because it had to be great he couldn't get anything done really going on there and stuff yeah. like that. I think, like, the Coens are at least sympathetic to wanting to make something great. But then, so I think the best advice in the movie does come from Charlie Meadows, who's, like, basically, like, listen, like, actually, like, be attuned to people. And Audrey says this, too, like, empathy is what's going to help you. Um, 
but also very good advice from my boy Ben Geisler, who's basically like, look, it's not like Gone with the Wind. It's not Ruggles of Red Cap. Look, <laughs> why make a thing what it's not? Like, yeah. why are you? And that's Barton's problem is like, well, he only has one idea of what a great, like, highbrow screenplay is. A great is. work is, yeah. And everything gets filtered through that. And though he might think of that as very highbrow and maybe he got a claim for it, it's like, it's not adaptive to, like, multiple perspectives to, like, there can be many definitions of what makes a thing great. Um, and it's just, yeah, the trap of, like, his, thinking that way. His saying, I don't really watch the pictures, is, oh. like, the original, like, I don't even own a TV. Oh, my God. You know? <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> I don't watch pictures. It's like this art form is superior to this other one. So if you, this is what you like, you, you know, can go kick rocks. Yeah, you don't go in for that so schlock. You're bad at that art form then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but even the uh, Capitol Records producer guy has that thing, which is like, you know, we don't do B movies here at, at Capitol Films. Um, I, yeah, but and uh, then guys stop that rumor right now. <laughs> I, yeah, I love it. He said that multiple times. Yeah, everything is a rumor. Stop and we're stopping, stopping that rumor That's right here. That's why he reminded Wish. me of he who shall not be named. Because <laughs> it's just like, he used to say something's a Except, rumor. Yeah. I'll say this, though. I I think he's more... I took that more in a positive Ben Geislery way <laughs> than in a, like, snooty Barton Fink way. Also, did... Just a... Did... Um, John, or did John Goodman's character say Hail Hitler? He did. When he was lighting the fire? When he shot the guy in the oh, face. Oh yeah, when he sh dude. So this is at like World War Two. so also this is like Nazi shit. Yeah. He's like a Nazi fucking sympathizer. And maybe the devil. Or Yeah, maybe he's just the devil, so anything that's the evilest thing that you can think of. That, uh, I mean, throw the devil it all in seems there. pretty tame when you compare to Hitler. <laughs> yeah. But. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, should we go do Metacritical and then uh, we'll come back and talk about some specific stuff and wrap Sounds it up? Sounds good. Okay. Uh, may I pee? <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Metacritical. Rob's never gonna win. Metacritical Brady's the victor again <laughs> So it's time to play oh, oh, oh. I'm gonna lose today Metacritical Yeah, it's time Time to play So yes, 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 Metacritical, Metacritical, Metacritical. That's what we're doing right here, right now. Um, just Dibala had to step out for, uh, let's just say, a, a little wee-wee break. Just a wee one. Well, not that. I mean, this segment's going to last like 10 minutes or something, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's longer than a wee one, but, you know. It's a, it's a, long, a long wee. Well, very good. Uh, Metacritical, it's the game where we try to guess the score, the Metacritic score of uh, the movie, which we'll come up with, and, um, you know, then I'll try to guess the score, and you'll try to guess the score, and we'll see who's closest, the person with the highest score at the end loses, it's usually me, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Sha, man, sha. 
I'll go first. Um, Barton Fink. A lot of actors in this one. A lot of actors I like. Uh, I'm on the record very much about my love for John Mahoney. Uh, Fraser's John Mahoney. And I will suggest, I don't think I've suggested this before, Moonstruck from 1988, 7. Right? Uh, yeah. Wait, uh, is that Moonstruck? Oh, wait. That, mm. It's Moon something. Oh, it's you're thinking. Song. Of... It's a Dick Dale song. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's not. It's not Moonstruck. <laughs> It might be something moon. Harvest, no. <laughs> that's, that's Neil Young. Okay, Moonstruck. I'm going to say that's in the 80s. I'm going to be like 82. That's probably a good guess. Uh, I'll just go with like an 80. Alrighty. Sticking close to me, eh? The answer is 83. Wow. Good job. Coming out the gate on, on top. De cuts. Okay, now you pick one. Alrighty. I'm going to go with the, a John Goodman connection here. And, Get that uh, Goodman connection. Let's go ahead. And, I really liked his character in, not a great movie, but passable, Flight. Oh, sure, Flight. John Goodman in Flight is, is a fun one. And it'll be an interesting score to guess because, you know. I think that's going to be at about a 71... I had to say. 71? Seriously? That's what you think? That's what I think. I mean, it's it did get kind of close to Best Picture that year, and it had, like, Denzel got nominated, so it was well-reviewed enough. Okay, I'll try to split the difference on you and get some points and say it's more like 79. Ah. A slight, a slight tidbit. Oh man, the fan is spinning up on the computer. A flight oh, tidbit. A flight tidbit. He's an alcoholic in that movie, but yeah. he doesn't have a drink. Like, uh, I always think of alcoholics as having, like, a drink they like. Like I drink vodka, or I drink martinis, or I drink, you know. Oh no, this particular he just kind of likes drink. it all. He'll just drink anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I understand that if you're a severe alcoholic. Possibly, you'll just raid anything and drink it, blah, 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 blah. But it seemed like when he was choosing mm-hmm. and, and not trying to fight it, that, like, shouldn't he he'd be like, ah, yes, Schlitz, or whatever the fuck his thing is. No, he's like Joaquin Phoenix and the Master. He'll just drink some radiator fluid. Like, oh, this will work. I just got to get the proportions right. Uh... Well, I just want movies, bro. Okay, here we go. The right. answer is 76. Oh, damn. You're closer than me on that one. Um, five off, you're three off. Dang. Okay. Okay. Uh-oh. This has been coming. The, you're getting one now where you're just, like, hitting. Okay. I'm pretty sure you're going to beat me next week, though. Um, interesting prediction. <laughs> Tony Shaloub. Do I get anything for Shaloub? Uh, I don't know. Do you? <laughs> hmm. I like a movie that gets all Shalubed up. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but I'm having a Did hard time. Did you really just say that? What? He's great. 
Oh, okay, you know, you, I'll go with um, blanking on her name. Is it Judy Walters? The woman in Barton Fink. Uh, she's in a movie that I really like that I saw recently for the first time, and that is uh, David Cronenberg's adaptation of Naked Lunch. Oh, so, okay. Putting that Naked Lunch in there. Did you guess first on my movie, or on your movie? No. No. We've been following the rules. Okay, yeah. I wasn't paying attention. So, okay, Naked Lunch. This is this is tough. Um, yeah. Well, let's say this. I haven't seen it, um, so I don't know how good it is, but eh, critics probably should rate it at about a 68 minus 23, um, which would be... I can do math, I promise. Mm -hmm. um, ooh, that's 45's too low. 55. 55. Okay, I think maybe higher than that. It is a, a very wild movie, I don't know. Notoriously hard book to adapt. Uh, I'm going to go... Let me hit the 72. 72, he says. Shit. Let me hit Is this it. how you're going to make up the fucking... Probably not. <laughs> the probably went too high. Naked Lunch is green at 67. Okay, so that's 5 for me. 12 for me. That puts you ahead. Yeah. You goddamn son of a bitch. Oh, wow, but it's just close. It is very close. No, it's not. It's like five points or something now, right? I think it's like three points. Hmm. What, so that's three movies? Yep. And it's my turn. That means you're going to get the last call. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have the advantage here. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Brady, how do you always pull it out? I don't know. Put it away, dude. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leave Tony Shalhoub out of this. Like, Jess could come in any minute, all right? Any minute. <laughs> no sword fights on, on the podcast. <laughs> um, or any other time, by the way. You're my best mate, but seriously. But seriously. <laughs> um... Tony Shalhoub deserves Okay, better. I'll go with the classic. Casablanca. Oh. And we'll just have to figure out how good it's rated. Uh, how do you like that? Hmm? Hmm? Pretty hmm? good, hmm? I would wager. Um, geez, is anyone going to not? <laughs> so I guess first? Yes. Um, Alright, I'm just going to go with a 99. 99, he says. All right, three-point game. Ninety-five. Okay. Okay, Casa Blanca. It's a hundred. I knew it. I knew I should have just. Yeah, fuck! I didn't know Metacritic had one hundreds. <laughs> They've started cataloging the classics. Oh yeah, no, you you can get a hundred. Boyhood famously had one, and that got people all hot and bothered. Now it's a nine-point game, and you're picking the movie. Pick something I could possibly win on, please. Something that I've seen. Okay, let me that's, think. Uh, that's you know not a not a great movie. <laughs> not a. <laughs> All right, so so it needs to be something you've seen involving actors from Barton Fink, and not not great. It doesn't have to involve actors from Barton Fink. We just do that to get the ball rolling. But at this point, we got a game here, fella. Uh, okay, 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 fine, 
God, help me. All right, let's go with the man himself. We we should throw John Turturro a bone. He is the star of the movie. And do another one with him. How about... Oh, The Secret Garden? No, I've never seen The Secret Garden. I know, but I have. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Adam Sandler remake of Mr. Deeds. The Jesus Rolls? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Deeds, you asked for this. The 45. Th- that's, probably, that's probably a good fucking guess. Shit, but now you're going to guess too close to me. Well. You're like, you, you're like I could just guess 44 and it doesn't fucking matter. I win either way. I think I'm going to guess like a, what do I really think? I'm going to guess like a 40. Shit, because the only chance I had was if it's lower. You could bullseye it. Oh, it's much 24. lower. Back. It's much lower. You said 45. It's a 24. 21 for you. All right. All right. I'm not... I'm not okay, fine. Read the scores. Read the, the scores. scores. I'm going to take Five. a sip and write a drink here. Started out strong. I got complacent after two movies. It did get Look away from happened. you right at the end. Look a 13 point split, 29 for me, 42 for you. That's the thing, it's, it's five rounds, but a lot can happen in five rounds of this crazy game we call. Fuck you, Brady. <laughs> a Metacritical. Fuck you. Well, that was a fun game for Metacritical. It was uh, much more, uh, much less one-sided than the last one, Brady. Much less. Was it? Yes. Good. Um, so yeah, do we just want to talk about a couple of things? Like I, I wrote down a thing about the at the very beginning. Me when too. I wrote "ting ting" intro. Very pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the the bell was really interesting because it's like, hmm, did they just find a bell that rings really like that? Or, you know, did they have to, like, craft this sound? Because it seemed like a lot of effort was put into that bell. I think they found it just like that cool choker necklace. They told someone, like, <laughs> yeah. find us the coolest never-ending bell you oh can get. And the best part is the Buscemi character, the, uh, the what is it, uh, Kurt, Clint? No. Chet. 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 Yes, Chet. There you go. With an Another. There was a Chester I, when last. He, when he slides the index card out that just says, Chet, exclamation point. But he comes and, like, like mutes the bell before... Before he oh, starts talking, he, has, he, okay. he stops it from ringing. Yeah, it and, might be a hell hotel, but Chet has figured out how to like self-care and live <laughs> there in a healthy way. Oh, you know, I just thought of something kind of interesting, and I don't know if this is a metaphor that I just thought of now, or if it's there or not, but the when they actually switch their shoes... And it's like how you don't understand someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Ah, that's good. That's kind of. There's that, and I just loved the shot with with all the shoes shoes in the hallway. It was creepy. It was really eerie. Because you're like, well, aren't there some people who just don't want a shoe shine? (laughs) I know, but it's like it's complimentary. And then, then you think of all these other invisible lives that like aren't being 
um, shown to you, but yes. those are still people that yeah. are in the building. Plus, hey, see. Barton, you don't hear any of them complaining that the laugh-crying guy is, is too is loud. too loud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just let it go on. Also, there was really good yeah. fonts. I mean, that's part of, you know. Love a good font. Uh, and then when it said the Hotel Earl, it said, like, stay a week or a lifetime or something <laughs> like that. And it's, like, definitely that Hotel California feeling of, like, yeah. You can check out any time you'd like, but you can never leave. Yeah, maybe it's just um, purgatory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe it's not hell or heaven or anything. It's just and purgatory kind of sounds like it might be worse than hell, you know? It's, yes, because there's always the promise that there. someday you're going to get to move yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's where he is. What's, what's the line Lipnick says to him? Like, I want him in I want town. him here, but not near me. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, so it is purgatory. Yeah, so he's not an enemy. Oh you keep your enemies closer. It's creative <laughs> purgatory. It's like life purgatory. It's you know. I love this. So, so Goodman's hell is not the worst thing that happens. There's one more. Oh yeah. Even worse fate for him. Yeah, because he is also still self-centered at the end of the day. So when he leaves with his life intact, he's kind of just like okay. He kind of actually, even though things are terrible, he's relatively unscathed. Right. As, like, someone lost... I mean, two of... The writer gets killed, too. And so oh, he's, yeah. like, the only one, really, that survives. And yet, you know, how is he going to find purpose? Yeah, maybe the box was WPs, and it's full of booze. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, if WP had booze... I don't think it would have lasted. It wouldn't have stayed in the box. You also notice when he's walking down that hill, when he's drunk the last time we see him, the bottle goes from being about a quarter of the way full to yeah. like an eighth of the way full. Like <laughs> and then just, he chucks it. And yeah. It, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so there's that. Uh, there's the great shot with all the shoes. Okay, we did that. Um, I, I was proud of myself to go like... That's a typewriter and a suitcase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he opens it, and it's like, because I was, I was typing on my typewriter last night, and I'm like, that looks like a typewriter-sized thingamabob. I have one of those. And he says, like, he's getting the rest of his stuff sent, but, like, there, that is all of his stuff. Yeah. His typewriter works better than mine, though. <laughs> <laughs> mine kept jamming. Uh, let me see. Um, I did notice... To, um, this is kind of um, not your typical Coen Brothers like shooting formation like you know stuff like Fargo or even Big Lebowski and stuff does a lot more like the people like a big parking lot and a person in it and mm -hmm. this and that all this was very much closer yeah and there was actually some of the the almost like Wes Anderson sort of framing there was right where he like you know uh, when they rotate the uh, registry over to him that was kind of Wessy and I mean this is obviously pre Wes Anderson's rise to fame but there's like a thing that that kind of composition is called, and I forget what it is, but it's like the idea of I tend to framing, find that very pleasing. Yeah, and framing so, everything, you know, evenly with everything in the background, and then the stuff happens in the foreground. Or, yeah, I'm. I think that like even when I'm not aware of perceiving that, I do just. It's satisfying to my 
to my mind, you know? Yeah, and the introductory uh, shots, too, when we're first seeing Barton, you know, like the floaty camera. Uh -huh. And then we go to L.A., and then the floaty camera floats in and goes, that's this guy. Yeah. So that kind of stuff. There was, like, even, I mean, it kind of reminded me a little bit of The Shining, um, like the hallway shots. Yeah. The opulence the of the dining room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those kinds of images are... Uh, you know, cinematically uh, important and, I mean, pretty much seared in your head, you know? So when you see a long, dark hallway, um, it, yeah. to me, that's, like, what comes to my mind, you know? Yeah, there's yeah. that. And um, the, the Audrey character was interesting, too, as because she changed throughout, like, the first instance ever, she's, like, you know really uh, kind of dressed down in like pancake makeup and, and then the next one she's a lot more like buttered up and nice and little when they're you know out to brunch and he's being a jerk and then like uh, I don't know the, just the way she was made up changed per it did change because the first time I was like why would they let her lip liner look like that <laughs> and then like <laughs> the next time I was like okay it's like been cleaned up. Yeah, that jelly bean's got different dimensions to her. Yeah, look at that jelly bean go. <laughs> it was a little jelly. <laughs> uh, is there anything like specific that you noticed, Brady, that you want to mention? That I haven't said? Probably not. I mean, I, I think I briefly touched on like, uh, but like maybe this is the start of, I want to say this could be the start of the Cohen kind of fixation on like uh words I, I don't know if it's the idea of like words as meaningless or words as kind of like futile but like you know the line uh, of good men repeating i will show you the life of the mind and now There's you're lots... actually there <laughs> oh am i was I, I inaudible you were quiet uh, it's okay i'll get it okay but yeah it's i think i feel like it's the beginning of the cohen idea and fixation on repetition of words to the point where like they become almost meaningless and are more like incantations. Mm -hmm. So like the life of the mind thing being a good example, just like words that get repeated and they're, they're like less meaningful communication than almost like coping mechanisms. Yeah. Like things like if I say this enough, will this like help me? Um, you know, so, and, and obviously uh, the life of the mind took me, 10 years or seven years forward to John Goodman screaming, uh, this You're is what happens. You're out of your element. <laughs> uh, yeah, or this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass. <laughs> Do you see what happens? Um, so, so yeah, because I, I, I love the idea, like, they're, the Cohen films, like, if I had to pick, like, a good through line, and I think there are lots, but, like, the search for meaning in a universe where they're not willing to say if anything has meaning, um, that's a big one for me. And like, so it's just like people hinge on these words, like, you know, the dude continually saying in the parlance of our times or something like that. And it's like, do you know what that means? Like, what is that? It's like, no, I just, I just need it as a life vest. That's, uh, that's good characterization too. I mean, yeah. to have, um, to be able to associate a character with a phrase without becoming, um, like, overtly catchphrasy. Mm -hmm. I think that's, it's interesting how you can imbue meaning 
through other things besides the actual words. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of like what Steve Buscemi did in the beginning too. Like that, it's like very yeah. There's wordplay. It's playful when he's like, "You have to check out at twelve, but since you live here, you don't have to check out." Like you know, they right. they, they <laughs> everything's in order. There's a lot of like absurdity, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see how you like it. <laughs> yeah, um, everything can just come in to serve the story because we like shooting cool shit, man. Exactly. <laughs> do. I love, oh, also one of uh, your best friend's lines, you're a sick fuck, Fink. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Danny. Yeah, my, I'm going to let you guys talk, but my last word on this is going to be about Ben. <laughs> I have to, I have to go out as I came in talking Ben Geisler. Well, I've more or less uh, said what I'm going to say, so. I, yeah, I mean, I really, I adored it. I thought it was a, a great movie. I would recommend people to watch it. Absolutely. It's very entertaining. It's got, it's got a lot in it. Agreed. And, and I'll just say, because I think this film so beautifully, like, takes pretentiousness apart and says you can, like, make art great art any way you want just like listen to people and get out of your own head which mm -hmm. unfortunately poor barton the times that i've i know i've only watched it two times but i've kind of thought about it and watched scenes a lot and i'm always like i've swing back and forth on how fucked he is i think he's really fucked in this viewing. <laughs> i'm like no he's, he's just gonna be in his own head forever no, he's gonna be bad he's doomed but you don't have to be you can learn from him and uh, if you confront pretentiousness, people who make art who might be listening to this, I encourage you to just look at that pretentiousness like Ben Geisler wanting to sock a writer in the face and just make a little smiley, scowly face and tense up your jaw and then just scream, South! South! <laughs> Wrestling pictures! <laughs> and that's my last word. Ben Geisler's last word. Sounds like a good thing to end on. South. Three, two, one. South. South. Theme song. Carnivorous <laughs> <laughs> couch. It happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob. Hey Brady. Hey Rob. Um, we forgot to do the most important part. Oh, what what is the most important part? When we pick the movie for next week, so that people can watch it in advance uh, of the. <laughs> yeah, because if we didn't do that, then we couldn't even have a next podcast. Yeah. Or we could. It just would be not about movies. That's true. Right. Right. Um, well, what What are we gonna pick? Oh, I've got lots of things. Okay, me too. Uh, but you go first. Okay. Because my computer is still being derpy and so, I can't... So, one I wanted to throw out because it's the holidays. And this, like, it's weird. This isn't even a holiday movie because I think it takes place over the course of a year. But it's always felt holiday-ish to me. Is uh, the 2006 Joe Wright version of Pride and Prejudice. Okay. With, okay. Uh, Kira Knightley. Well, I'm going to throw out, because David said that we should throw it out, mm -hmm. um, The Devil's Advocate. 
With uh, Keanu Reeves? And Al Pacino. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, Jay Hash did that for a monologue at the Ohlone Festival our senior year. And weirdly, there, were, there was another person doing the same monologue in the same room. It yeah, pretty, it was a pretty popular movie. It was a popular movie. Um, okay, so I don't know how many I should throw out, but I, well, I have some we'll others. We'll throw out another one. Okay, I'm going to throw out the 2010 Coen Brothers version of True Grit. All right. Jeff Bridges. Hmm. How about uh, the bandwagon? What, what's the bandwagon? It's a weird murder musical from, um, well, I doesn't have the release up. I think it's like 57. Okay. I mean, I like, normally I like very conservative murder musicals, but, <laughs> but we could do a weird one. That's, that's the spice of life. Well, I'm going to throw that in there. Okay. And then, um, why don't you pick another one? Um, I am going to throw in uh, Michael Clayton, a movie we've uh, done on Understudy before and that, that I'm quite fond of. Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. All right. Um, and then you can wax on, uh, what is it, techno thrillers? Or what, what category, genre is that? Like your parallax views and all those? Uh, techno thriller? Yeah, okay. I mean, it's not really... Is it conspiracy Parallax thing? View is a techno thriller. Okay. They taught it in the techno thriller class. What about the Three Days of the Condor? What, what yeah, it's that a do? techno thriller. Okay, okay. All right, well, yeah, that's that's my third. What, Three Days of the Condor? No, 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 Michael Clayton is my third. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if Michael Clayton is, but I haven't seen it. So. Oh, it's um, it's a 2007 uh, George Clooney movie. Ooh. Okay, here's another one. Peck and Paw. Peck and uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Cool, cool. Oh, wait, no, the, actually, I think it's Arthur Penn. Oh, you're right. But, but yeah, no, I know the one you mean. Warren Beatty. Yes. Faye Dunaway. And 24-year-old Faye Dunaway. Ah, uh, yeah. Very, very, young. very, very, Baby Dunaway. Very All right, you got another one? Yeah, I got another one. Let me go, let me pivot to, no, you know what? I've been lobbying for this for a bit, I think. I'm going to do Burning. Burning? Burning. Uh, my, one of my favorite movies of the last decade from uh, South Korea. It was my favorite movie of 2018. All right. Let me pick one more. Okay. Um, how about Dirty Harry? How about Dirty Harry? The first one. With uh, Clint? I mean, yes. I guess they're all Clint. Clint Eastwood and um, what's his name who plays Garrick? Andy Robinson. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, how many is that? I think that's... Four each? Eight? Yeah, I think we're at four each. Well, do you have any of mine that you'd like to put up? Uh, okay, so are we done with the throwing them out? No, first? I might throw out more. <laughs> so the ones you suggested... Uh, you wrote them down. Oh, shit, sorry. I, so Bonnie <laughs> and Clyde, Dirty Harry... Murder musical. Uh, murder musical was called the Bandwagon. Bandwagon, and then there was one more, which was there was just like a really hot dance number in there. I saw it. it I was flipping through the channels and saw it on one of the retro things. What was what was the fourth one you threw out? Um, 
got Bonnie and Clyde. Um, got the bandwagon. Oh, well, we threw out Devil's Advocate because, oh, yeah, because Advocate. David mentioned that he'd like to do it. Okay, so you're saying of yours, do I want to throw any... Wait, out as in like get rid of or out as in like that sounds as, good? As in like that sounds good. Uh, of the like ones one of you suggested, uh, Bonnie and Clyde is a great movie, but uh, maybe I'll throw Devil's Advocate in there because I've never seen it. I think Bonnie and Clyde's a great movie to talk about. So I'm going to throw out Bonnie and Clyde. Okay. So the choices are between Devil's Advocate oh, and okay. Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> okay, I see how it is. All you right. see what I've, done, what I've done to you? Yeah, I do, I do. Okay, do you have something else that you'd like to put in that'll be like a round two sort of pick? A round, what's round two? Like you you just pick one. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm going to throw in Pride and Prejudice. Oh, okay, you're picking one of the ones that you I'll pick one of there. mine for the run, too. Okay, I'm going to look for a totally different movie. Um, and So let me circle what's in play. Hmm. Hmm. How about the mean season? Uh, hey, no wrong answers. I don't know the mean season, but... Uh, the mean season, I believe, it's Dennis Quaid. He's like a reporter. I think it's Dennis Quaid. I might be wrong about that. He's a reporter, um, and the serial killer calls her and says, like, that's one of five after he's killed his first victim. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, a bunch of shit ensues. Uh, sure. <laughs> okay, so we've got... Uh, I like ensues. So for my two, we've got Bonnie and Clyde. Uh-huh. And mean season. Uh, for you, you've got... Uh, Devil's Advocate and Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. Okay, so I'm going to take the first round. So let's do our one, two, three shoot. For so this is uh, Bonnie and Devils. Yes. I'm Devils. You're Bonnie. Yes. Okay. Ready. Wait, wait. Is this Bonnie and Devils? Yeah, that was round one. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna take evens. Okay. I'll take odds, of course. Okay. One, two, three, shoot. <laughs> okay, okay. That, that wasn't fair. You <laughs> shot beforehand, so I All obviously right, so put it. I'm going to pick evens. Okay, so, and I'm odds again, and so on three. One, two, three, and shoot. And then shoot, okay. All right, one, one two, two, three, three shoot. shoot. All right, so it's evens. Cool, so Bonnie and Clyde wins round one. Okay. All right, so that'll be my holder for, uh, now we got to do round two. Which is? Pride and Prejudice and the Mean Season. Okay. Right. So, evens or odds? Evens. Evens. Okay, so it's uh, one, two, three, shoot. Ah, odds. odds. So, okay. um, so that's you, right? Or no? So I put uh, yeah. Mean Season. Yeah, that's the Mean so now Season. We, now I hold the first one, which is Bonnie and Clyde, and you hold the second one, which is Mean Season. Okay. And we'll do it one more time. All right, one more time. And then it'll be one of those two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I killed both your movies. That's great. That's. I, yeah. I expected somehow that it would just be your two picks. <laughs> no, the history says I don't win that often, though. I at, mean, at we usually end up doing what you pick, right? We do, but I. But sometimes <laughs> it's because you pick mine. Yeah, and then I win. Yeah. And I go, well, shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This time you're your own champion. Evens or odds? Odds. Okay. One, two, two three, three, shoot. It's evens. 
Bonnie I won, and Clyde. I won all three of them. Sweet. Wow, yeah. And I got to do the movie I really wanted to do. Good for you. That's a great movie. Okay, right, so folks. with that, uh, we're, we're finally done recording the episode. And, and all, well, you're listening to it. So I have released it as you hear this. That's right. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Carnivorous couch. It happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob. Because he's a hipster fuck. Yeah, he wants a... to suffer. <laughs>